Hello, and welcome to Q&A Quest, and your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to several nerds ramble on about RPGs for the next two hours or so. I'm Mike Apps, and with me on this mission, as always... Rocksteady! David McBurney, Fanboy Master. And the Ministry has disavowed any knowledge of my appearance on the show today. Your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaijin Monogatari. Awesome. I uh, had to be the jackass that heard Mission Impossible and said, Ah, yes, time to reference a soundbite from the N64 game. You son of a bitch. I was wondering what that was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Rocksteady. There's a great, like, the sound The sound in that game is not good, but it's also extremely funny all of the time, so... The, the Rocksteady is what he says anytime that you successfully shoot someone. He has, like, a handful of things he can say. But the problem is that the game doesn't actually, actually differentiate if it was beneficial to shoot that person, so he'll sometimes say it when you shoot someone you're supposed to protect. Uh. <laughs> yeah, way to go! Uh, I love that game. That game's stupid as shit. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, it's a new Mission Impossible week, so I've been re-watching some of those movies. It's it's weird how good they are. It really is. Uh, especially considering, I think, the one that really kicks off like the great, great era is directed by someone who's mostly directed animated movies. Oh, you're thinking of the Brad Bird yeah. uh, Ghost Protocol? Yeah. That's the first one I saw in IMAX, and now that's how I have to see them every time. Yeah, I could see that. They, yeah. They're good spectacle flicks. Uh, yeah, I remember like thinking, like, why did these suddenly get really, really good around four? And then I was, looked it up, and it's like, oh, it's because they keep being written by the guy who wrote The Usual Suspects. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's like, he, oh. Did he write three, or did he start with four? He starts with four. Okay. There's three. And three was three's good too. Three's really good. Not quite on the level the next three are, but it's really good. Yeah, but all of the ones from four onward have been written by Chris McQuarrie, and okay. five, six, seven, and eight, I believe, are all directed by him as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I never saw this coming, especially after, like, one One is really good, but it's also, like, hard to follow. <laughs> It's it's a weird flick. It's a Brian De Palma flick, uh, and the other thing that's fascinating about it is that like it's clearly designed to betray the expectations of people who remember the seventies TV show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, Jim Phelps is the villain. What the fuck? Yeah. But then, like, two is just really dumb. D two, like, <laughs> I, I love John Woo. He was not a good fit for that franchise. No. <laughs> no. I. I I, like I, I can't say I don't enjoy watching two, but if I watch it, it that, was a I, weird fit. Yeah, if I watch <laughs> that, I would say, well, that's the end of this franchise. That was fun. For a long time, it seemed like it was. Like yeah. I think that might be the longest time between films is between two and three, because like two is two thousand, I think, and three is like two thousand six or seven. Yeah. But yeah, remember the PS two game. Like Operation Surma? Nope. Mission Impossible, Operation Surma, made by the developers of Pilot Wing 64. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> very strange product, not very good, but uh, Splinter Cell and Metal Gear were both popular at the time, so someone was like, we can get the rights to that. 
We can't get the rights to Tom Cruise or any of the people that you associate with the films, but we can get the rights to the name Mission Impossible and Ethan Hunt. Are you talking about the N64 game? No, I'm talking about the PS2 game, Operation Serma. Oh, oh no, a new agent has entered the arena. Yes. Will, will we be double-crossed? Yes. Um, any messages I give you will self-destruct, so just be brum, careful. Brum. Yeah, I rewatched while working today uh, four and five, and they are so fucking good. Yeah, those were the ones that I had the chance to see in theaters, and both of those were like absolutely yeah. bafflingly good. <laughs> Well, I know like a lot of attention goes to oh he's doing all these crazy stunts, but it's like when you watch those movies, you, yeah, yeah. When you watch those movies, you understand why because it's like wow, this shot wouldn't be nearly as good as if this was like CG or something. This is not a CG slurry, and yes. that means a lot nowadays. Yes, it makes mm -hmm. the shot a lot better when hey, this is actually taken from the side of the tallest building in the world that's kind of i'm not awesome. i am not seeing I, my brain is not having to silence the part of it that is just sensing the uncanny compositing yes i can yes. just enjoy the scene yeah and also four has this ridiculous end fight sequence in like a high-tech parking garage oh it's so good it's <laughs> it's like nothing in any other movie it's it's cool I had I had a discussion with a friend a few days ago where we were going over how long that Tom Cruise has been playing that the role of Ethan Hunt, and someone put it into perspective by saying that it would be like if Sean Connery had still been playing James Bond at the point when Timothy Dalton was. <laughs> it's uh, and it's been a long stretch. Sean Connery actually owned a significant portion of the company making the movie yeah mm. but it's still one of those things it's like oh he's been doing that for 27 years sweet jesus <laughs> how is he still alive seriously his own stunts crazy mm -hmm. should be dead should be reattaching his spine uh, I mean, doesn't matter <laughs> he like broke his foot in the last one or something i remember mm-hmm or maybe the no, no, that was the last one. The one, the same one where he piloted a helicopter during a chase sequence. So once your once your ticket for Dead Reckoning tomorrow night, part one. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm excited. Should be yeah. a good time, and the review early reviews are really good. I'm shocked. I am shocked, <laughs> given the standards quality thus yeah, far. Seriously. Uh, but yeah, I won't, for anyone that's not interested in spy action movies, uh, I guess we'll talk about some RPGs now. Probably at least a couple. Yeah. What have we been playing? Uh, I've been playing oh. a little, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I've been playing a little Disgaea 6 to get ready for a backtrack, but I'm not going to talk about that at all here. You can just listen to the backtrack about Disgaea uh. 6. Yes. Ah. Uh. But I had to had to play a bit of that, refresh my memory beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of been it lately. Getting back to uh, 
Trails in the Sky now and played a bit of East yeah, 9. Yeah, I, I popped on the deck and saw that you were playing Trails in the Sky. That made me happy. Yeah. Uh, I've also been playing some East 9. I finally realized that hard in the modern East games is not the same as hard in the Oath and Fulgana era <laughs> of East games and set it down to normal. It's hard in these these games is a lot harder, so mm. yeah, normal normal is where I should be. And if they ever feel too easy, they can change the difficulty anytime. So uh, yeah, that will should help me finish that off during the summer Falcon. You may not be normal, but you can at least play on normal. Yes, that's it for me. Everyone else can talk now. Let's go, Gaijin. What do you got? What do you got? I finally decided I was just going to move into the end game on Romancing Saga on this first playthrough. Mm -hmm. um, after having unlocked the path to the ending about eight hours ago. <laughs> and next playthrough, I'm definitely going to be switching it over to the American timing system. Because apparently, um, the, um, when they, at least in America, they retooled it so that battle ranks advanced about at half the spade. <laughs> Japanese version. Um, and it's been over a decade since I actually played my original game, so it was like, okay, I'll, how bad could this be? I'll just play this and not really care about battle rank or anything. And at this point, I've got exactly two Fate Stones, and I've locked myself out of at least three others. Uh, including hmm. one that I was not aware that you could lock yourself out of. That's fun. That's a very saga thing to have happen to you. Hmm. Actually, two that I was not aware because I wasn't aware that the Emerald had a prerequisite in a completely different quest. Hmm. Happens. Okay. Yeah, so um, I will be seeing if I can defeat the God of Darkness and then just move on to something else for a while. Have you decided who you'll play on your next playthrough? <laughs> Oh, when I get around to it, probably either probably Sif. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Need to pick up that remaster. Yeah, it's a good remaster. Oh, speaking of remasters, I just got uh, Atelier Marie in the Marie? mail today. Yes, nice. I, I got it from the store yesterday, so that's what I'm going on to next. Nice. Yeah, I had, a good choice. I had to think for a second because. The last, I went on Nintendo's website the other day to see if like the di digital version was available, and I searched for Atelier Atelier Annie instead for some reason. Annie. <laughs> yes, I, I don't know. <laughs> Wrong Atelier. I would, I would yes. love it if they released if they re-release the DS games. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> that'd be nice. The the English version of the first one goes for like around two hundred dollars. I think it's the second one, but yeah. Is it the second have to seriously, one? Okay, I had it they backwards. They would have to seriously make some fixes to the first one. Okay, I thought the I thought we got the first one and not the second one. I had it backwards. Only got the second one. The first one had... first one was the second buggiest game I've ever played in that series. That's a, that's a tall order. Have you played... Uh, God, what the hell is the name of that one? What were the two after Atelier Iris? 
What, Manakemia? Uh, yes. Uh, Have you ever oh, played you're Manakemia on PSP? Oh, that's busted. That doesn't yeah. work. Okay, okay the, the most busted of the original releases. <laughs> Um, uh, before, I, I do have I do have Manakimia two on PlayStation Network just because it came as a free download with Aisha. I have not actually played it in all in oh it's been twelve years I still haven't played it it's still on my PlayStation three though. Before some of these questions get left behind in the chat, I oh, want yeah, to bring I'm up. Sorry, I was okay. uh, trying to post last week's episode. Missed some of these. Fireminer uh, brought up the 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 thing announced a Riviera remaster. Uh, and the, he's hoping it comes to PC. Expect Switch version will probably come first. Yeah, that's probable. Uh, I I have my doubts we even get it, given the I think Yggdra Union we didn't get that remaster. Yeah, that, which I was kind of sad about. Yeah, I would have liked to have the chance to play that, but Atlas definitely owns the translation. I don't know if there's any appetite to bring that over. It's a bit of a shame. And then. Uh, Budai asked, uh, port any game from DS slash 3DS to modern Switch, P uh, PSN, PC, what do you choose? What was the question exactly? Port any game from DS, 3DS to modern Switch, PSN. Like, to what modern consoles. I guess... Joe, Joe why are you like answering you have to pick... chat? You're, you're in voice chat. <laughs> Also, you so stole my. You also, you stole my answer, right. you son of a bitch. <laughs> wow. Well then. <sighs> uh, for for me, some of the thing, a lot of the things I would have listed, Capcom has kindly made made it so that I don't have to treat them as a distant dream. So like, Ghost <laughs> Trick would have been on that. The Ace Attorney four through six would have been on that. All of those have been rescued, so it, it's gonna get into some like. Some of the weirder stuff. I'd like to see the Trauma Center games come back. Oh, that'd be cool. Okay. That's interesting. Or Hotel Dusk. Hotel Dusk and its sequel, Last Window, would be nice as well. Although there is a puzzle in Hotel Dusk 1 that doesn't make any sense on anything but the DS with its clamshell design. Because there is a puzzle that is built around, like, oh, you need to... You need to Close uh, it? Yeah, it, it was because you needed to close it because it's like, oh, you need to put your face next to this person's in order to, like, fucking uh, see, breathe for CPR. And it's like, how do I get their faces next to each other? Oh, you close the damn thing because one face is on one screen and one face is on the other. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Hotel Dusk and Last Window would be nice. Well, I have a good uh, one. Devil Survivor mm -hmm. 1 and 2. That'd be nice. That would that wouldn't even be hard. No. Which is weird. Uh, uh, Elite Beat and Oendon would be really hard, but God, I want those to come back. Yeah, they In they would spirit, be hard. If because, not in actuality. Yeah, like, they they would be hard because like their gameplay doesn't work on anything else, and they're all licensed songs, and it's just a giant pain in the ass all around. But it'd be nice. It'd be nice. All the 3DS games on the Switch. That would be nice. Uh, Persona yeah, Q1 and Saga 2 would be good. Yeah, mm. Saga 2 and 3. 
Um, and all of the, like we just said, the DS Ateliers. Yeah. The official stepchildren, or the uh, neglected stepchildren of the series. Mm -hmm. uh, Not even counted among the official entries. Yeah. For one that might theoretically someday happen, given Capcom's uh, tendencies. Uh, the Mega Man Star Force games would be nice, as well as uh, Ace Attorney Investigations 1 and 2, even though 1 is really bad, 2 is really good, so it evens out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, those are that's a set of... The, both of those are things that I think might eventually happen, just because Capcom's been very good about rescuing a lot of their old DS games. So... Those who might actually get. Yeah. Uh, Radiant Historia would be cool. Yeah, that one, again, that's one that wouldn't be hard. Uh, I still think a lot about how Perfect Chronology started out as a Vita game, and then by the time like that team got poached to make Tokyo Mirage Sessions, and by the time they were done and going back to Radiant Historia, the idea of releasing a Vita version of Radiant Historia no longer made any kind of sense, so it became a 3DS version. Hmm. Only Weird time. Been a Switch version. Yeah, if they had just waited another year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Budai asks, "What's a larger Holy Grail? Mother Three, Prince of Dragon Saga, or Shining Force Three Complete? Which would you take, regardless, if you could only choose one?" Probably take Shining Force Three Complete personally. Uh, I think I would also take Shining Force Three Complete. think i don't Three, know just, um i thought of the resident evil mercenaries game but it was that was a terrible game what i want is a brand new resident evil mercenaries game with all of the levels and all of the characters with good graphics that 3ds mercenaries game is not an amazing game but it is a very technically impressive one for mm. given the platform that's on <laughs> um so when he's which would you take regardless if you could only choose one? Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm leaning Panzer Dragoon Saga because I would never want to buy that fucking game right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So why it's only like nine hundred dollars? <laughs> you made a pretty penny when you got rid of that thing. If it was basically which of the three can you get for free, and then you'd have to buy the other two out of pocket, then it's like. Uh, yeah. Probably Panzer Dragoon Saga. Although, yeah, the one I most want to play is Shining Force Three. Yeah, yeah. true. But now, fear my Arctic Blast. Uh, oh, doesn't the English patch remove those voices? I think they have a patch uh, I that removes not. those. I think. They, I think. <laughs> I want them. Remove, I know. I love them. <sighs> Most impressive RPG from a pure technical level on release. Uh, Barring uh, modern stuff that, like, I mean, you just expect things to be technically impressive. Breath of the Wild? That's in production-wise. Breath of the Wild's really impressive, but it's, again, I would consider that modern. I just sort of expect modern okay. AAA games to be technically uh, impressive. Hmm... Assets production-wise, um, Legend of Mana. It's a really gorgeous game. Yeah. Yes. 
like if, when I was a kid playing like 2D games, that's kind of what I imagined. That was the future. Like that would be the future, not necessarily 3D games. That's yeah. When I think of like this is probably a little more modern than I was setting for myself, but when I think of ones that like really impressed me and made me think like this is what I thought RPGs would look like when I first play uh, in the future when I first played like Super Nintendo games it was like Dragon Quest 8 because mm. mm -hmm. it was just like oh there's all, like it has that sense of confined openness that you had exploring these old world maps but they're like you know of of that like detail and 3d size it's just it's still one of my favorite world maps and dq11 much the same mm -hmm. given that dq11 is kind of just dragon quest 8 2 <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, both those games and well to some extent even nine really nine's really impressive for a ds game yeah. like wildly uh impressive for a ds game yeah but dragon quest in general i kind of carries the torch of like what i think what i thought back in the day like should have been the like, future right like what snes rpgs would play like in the future on more modern consoles <laughs> whereas most other series went off in lots of different directions and not that that's bad but it's nice that there's something that looks like the exact thing you assumed the right. future must be like right. that isn't like weird chemco rpgs <laughs> that was that was what you what your current rpgs looked like at the time yeah. uh, uh tengai makyo 2 for pc engine was supposedly way ahead of its time pre ff7 it's extremely ahead of its time but oh, yeah. it's, it's very much built on uh like having in that sense of it's the PC Engine Super CD-ROM-ROM, and... I was going to say, it, it had actual, like, FMV and things. Yeah, like, it because it had all that space, and the Super CD-ROM-ROM card, I believe, adds a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of extra, like, RAM and shit, so... Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah. It just had a lot uh, of stuff to work with. Yeah, like, Tengai Makio was absolutely the... PC Engine game, like the the one that did, like that's the that's still like the 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 like that entire franchise. We have like fan translations of two of them, and none of them are mainline games. Like we have Tengai Makio Zero, which is like a really cool, impressive uh, Super NES game that's really uh, neat, but it's not like one of the main ones that made the series big in Japan. And we have Oriental Blue, a uh, spinoff for the Game Boy Advance that. Uh, it, it's barely it's barely a Tengai Makio game. We do not have it one, two, three, like or 8,000 yen in the second-hand stores now. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Tried to pick it up years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and yeah, we don't have uh, Tengai Makio 1, 2, or 3. We don't have Fourth Apocalypse. Uh, there's there's no C PC Engine hacking scene. We don't have uh, Kabuki Aiden... Oh, I mean, if someone really wanted to try, there was the PlayStation Portable Collection. That's one, two, and Fubuki-den. Yeah. Uh, and there was actually a PSP uh, port of four as well. Yep. Uh, 
have to find them because again, these are things that are fairly difficult to locate now. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really the like they would be daunting to translate. They'd be daunting to hack. There's all sorts of reasons that we'll never like the the stars never align to make those happen. <laughs> but hmm. it would be nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, I actually need to check if we got any questions uh, in the in the comments section. We got a bunch of stuff to bring up in the Discord. So I was thinking of some PC games mm -hmm. that came out like when I was a kid and a teenager because I didn't have Super Nintendo or PS One when they came out. Um, <laughs> So of course, what what comes to mind for me is would be um, I was just thinking of Diablo when it came out. It was a big deal to me. I, I don't know. I hadn't played anything else like it. And then also Baldur's Gate Two mm, was good pretty one. epic. Yeah. Like both are games that would not run on the computer I had when I bought them and had to wait till I actually had a better computer. Meaning <laughs> had to wait for the parents to buy a better computer for the whole family before I could run them. Yeah. Uh, Budai asks, how impressive was Lunar 2 on the Sega CD? And I would say uh, it definitely didn't have the production values of a Tengai Makio, but it's, it's, as far as doing that kind of uh, pixel art FMV sort of look, uh, very impressive, especially compared to the first one. You were saying, Joe? I think I was done. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, because the, the, no, that was my answer. Was uh, those two PC games? I, yeah. I was also really impressed by Heroes of Might and Magic Three, another game that <laughs> computer couldn't run. But that's really more of a you know the strategy game, less so RPG. You look um, at some of those PC games from the time, and it's like I I wasn't there for this, but I'm sure that uh, even though they were broken as shit. Uh, a lot of those mid-90s like Elder Scrolls Arena and Daggerfall, that sort of thing, like the sheer size and scale was probably pretty impressive at the time. Yeah. P says, I love Heroes of Might and Magic 3. My dad used to play that all the time. Yeah, that that game was... I remember that game being all over the place. I think there was a Mac version of that I played back yeah. in the day. It was, it was great. Yeah. You, I am your father. Ha ha ha. Okay. Uh, Whatever happened to that series? What series? Oh, oh here's Ubisoft. A Magic. Ubisoft bought Ubisoft it. Ubisoft happened to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is that for a while... Oh, P's dad was, was working at 3DO when it was released. Yeah, like, okay. the, awesome. for a while, 3DO cool. had control of that. Yeah. And... They did a lot of very strange things with it later in its life. There's like one of them. God, I think it's like War Heroes. was pretty bonkers. Yeah, it's, it's like Warriors of Might and Magic on PS2 or something that turned that was like secretly just a remake of King's Bounty. It's extremely weird. Uh, but yeah, like then once 3DO dies, it gets picked up and like. Ubisoft pulls it off the corpse uh, and still occasionally does things with the property. 
And we're getting a remaster of uh, the Clash of Heroes. What the heck is the puzzle? Yeah, I think that's Clash of Heroes. Yeah. Which was my first review on RP Gamer was the original remaster on 360 <laughs> of the because it was originally it was a uh, DS, DS game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I look. I, I want to try the original sprite graphics. <laughs> I wanted to look this up. Heroes of Might and Magic Quest for the Dragonbone Staff is inexplicably a remake of King's Bounty. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know what yeah, happened. That's there. really weird. I was going to say, like, 5 and 6 were pretty awful, but I really liked 7, even though it was poorly optimized DirectX 9, and even on modern hardware still can have some hiccups, but... When did that come out? Um... Oh, DX9 games are probably early, early aughts at the latest. Well, no, the the thing is, it it didn't utilize newer technologies. That's the thing. Like, I want to say DirectX 11 was absolutely on the market when this came mm, out. Okay, it's it one of those things where maybe it was just low budget or something. But like, I mean, I don't even think now... that could be explained by budget. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like now I can finally like run it on the highest settings and get good frame rate, but of course it now it looks like garbage. But, uh, I don't know. I thought it was neat. Uh, if you could have been a fly on the wall during any game's development, what would you like to uncover? Oh. Hmm. I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff. Uh, actually, Resident Evil 4. Because that's that, <laughs> that gets you like five games worth of what happened here. Okay. <laughs> But then you go, you get to hear, see it mutate into Devil May Cry, and then you get to see the three versions that were uh, variously uh, shown to the public and internally scrapped for varying reasons. Uh, and then you get to see the game that defined what shooters would be for the next, like, ten years. Yeah. Uh, there's two Saga games I'd love to see the development of. The mm -hmm. first being Unlimited Saga. Because I would just like to see everything about why. Came about. It's like why? It's it's the it's the perfect subject for a remake because there's nothing that they could do to it that would make the it worse. It's true. Uh, well, and we we say this as loving saga fans. This yes. is not a game for anyone who's not really into saga. Yeah, and isn't really into the notion of playing a tabletop game by themselves. And hopefully has full access to the novel-length FAQ on GameFAQs. Rudai respects this answer. And yes. uh, Rudai says that he wants to see if the FF7 rumors are true. I'm curious which rumors you're referring to. Sure. Uh, the other Saga game I'm referring to is the remake of Saga 3. Yeah, that would have been interesting to just see what see them sit there and decide what they could discard. Yes. <laughs> I just find that whole thing fascinating. Just because in, how we... how different that remake is in a good really good way. And when you look at it, they didn't discard a lot, they just they only changed the combat and a lot of the systems to match other games in the series. That's true. They didn't really throw out a lot. They just added more, a lot more, a lot more. 
okay. And I think uh, one, one of the major points I made for the for my review of the remake was like, there are side quests in that remake that have more actual character development than the entirety of the original game. Mm -hmm. uh, just by being itself. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. To hit one of the clarifications Budai gave, the rumor that he was referring to about uh, FF7, uh, death of the other characters other than just Aerith or Xenogear stuff being possibly 7. Uh, I believe that both of those were confirmed by the oral history of the game's development that ran in Polygon about five years ago. Because there's an interesting story in that about how initially at one point in the game, uh, like corroborated by people who worked on the game, that at one point in the game, your characters were all going... Anyone who was on the high wind when you uh, made the jump into Midgar at the end of the second disc was going to die because the high wind was going to be shot out of the sky. Uh, and... Like, there, one of the people relating this story talked about how, like, Nomura in particular was really pissed about this idea, because it's like, Aerith's death means fucking nothing if we suddenly just kill the entire fucking cast. <laughs> uh, and for, for Thanogears thing, there's like, I believe at various points it's been avowed that... Uh, in the lead-up to FF15, they talked about how tons of things were pitched as Final Fantasy VII, and that 15 was the last concept that they had had for FF7 that had reached the point of being pitched that was actually that uh, hadn't been produced. And that I believe Xenogears, some version of Parasite Eve, FF8, uh, 10, and 13 were all at some point pitched as FF7. Wow. They uh, they had a lot of time on their hands and a lot of uh, freedom to decide what that game was going to be. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, and of course, large parts of the Xenogears pitch were definitely also a Chrono Trigger sequel at one point. Oh boy. Yep. But then, then we did get a Chrono, Chrono Trigger. Cross the Xenogears next. <laughs> if you put, I was going to say... At, if you look then, at them then we did get a other, you'll notice and it sucked. <laughs> if you look you? at them next to each other, you'll notice that they share about two thirds of their plots. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's not subtle actually, up to and including the uh, save point, uh, the the extremely specific notion that the save points are a method of spying on the populace, led by a villain, uh, like put in place by the villainous faction. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's real weird <laughs> that the, the plot point was just reused wholesale like huge portions of it but when you look at Xenogears as well it's just like oh it's very easy to map Deus and look at it and it's like oh that's just that's just a retcon about Lavos that's what they did <laughs> and yeah even a rumor of Zeno Gears 2, but Spirits Within Failure closed it, but that could be hearsay. I believe that uh, by the time Spirits Within came out, uh, Xenosaga Episode 1 was already very far into development. It had, at the very least, been announced. I was just reading a Reddit thread that 
had all sorts of claims about the fallout for the spirits within, and one of them was that supposedly it helped kill Xenogears 2, but I'm like, there's something wrong about this timeline. Yeah, I don't feel like the time matches up for that. Uh, it's one of those things, like, the, I think one of the bigger issues is that the thing that made the, the, the most logical Xenogears 2 they could have made was going to be the second disc of Xenogears, but they made the choice to make yeah. the second disc of Xenogears instead of doing splitting the game. Uh, Definitely, because the second disc was the second disc. It's one of those things, like, I can I can see an alternate timeline where we got a second Xenogears that's like a very late PS1 game, but I can also see the timeline where Xenogears 2 that resolves that plot just never comes out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is probably at least part of their concern and why they went with, we will just cram whatever we can into the second disc. Yeah, I've never, I've certainly never heard of Xenogears 2 being uh, wound up by the failure of Spirits Within, but like I said, I don't think the timeline quite matches, because I believe Monolith Soft is founded a fair bit before. Uh, Here you we know, go. Check... Okay, here we go. Xenogears 2 was actually a thing under consideration, but Square eventually backed out of moving forward with it. One reason was because Xenogears on initial release did not sell the million copies they wanted, but more importantly, they could not focus on moving forward with the sequel because they were focused on making a film division. Sia Takahashi then leaves in 1999 to make Monolith Soft. Okay, so it was... It's, the argument is that they had over-expanded into film, basically? That, they, um, that their intent to expand into film made it so that they didn't want to focus on what they saw as le underperforming IPs, and so Takahashi left prior to the movie come being made. Yeah, I, being made. I would honestly guess that, that was, it was probably not going to happen even if they didn't make Spirits Within 2. <laughs> even if they didn't make Spirits Within. Uh... I, I've never heard those two events particularly connected. I mean, honestly, the way that whole argument was made makes it sound like the reason it wasn't made is because the first game underperformed, and that's it. Yeah, because like, that's the other thing, is that I think Xenogears Gears was a pretty expensive game. Uh, and it's, it's sort of the same thing. It's like, why didn't we get a Live Alive 2? Live Alive 1 didn't sell well. Yep. How do you make a sequel for that game? Uh, you probably make a bunch of new scenarios and, and hire a bunch of different manga artists to sort of concept the art styles for them. Pretty much, it's, I mean, basic, I mean, it would not be a sequel, it would just be like, okay, it'd be a sequel in the same sense that Final Fantasy has sequels. <laughs> but we don't have, I mean, it's, it'd be more like, okay, the Live is the entire original Final Fantasy series, and now we're just going to make a completely different Final Fantasy series. Yeah, but I feel like it's something that, like, it would not have been an issue if the game had sold. <laughs> but... Be a fly on the wall in, like, so many Genesis games from the uh, early 90s, like, like, how'd they come up with it? You know? <laughs> You've got, like you have games like Dynamite Heady that are so friggin' bonkers. It's like how the hell 
did they even think of that? You know? Um, with, with most treasure games, I feel like the answer is someone coming up with a novel way to render explosions. Yeah. But... <laughs> It's not yeah. an insult. I love them, and I love their explosions. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's just it. Yeah, I just grew up with the Genesis, and that's all I'm thinking of. Like now, I'm drawing a blank on RPGs, even though we're on an RPG podcast and all that. I'd be but. fascinated to see uh, the developments, the developments of Fantasy Stars three and four. Okay. Hmm. Because one of those was developed by a team that did not make the prior Fantasy Star games, and one of those was a team coming back and trying to uh, to put together uh, something that cohesively tied together uh, Fantasy Stars uh, two, th one through three uh, in a way that was kind of going to be uh, sort of a uh, conclusion and does function as essentially a conclusion to Fantasy Star as it was known at the time. Uh, so that would have been both of those could be fascinating for different, often tragic reasons in Three's case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been talking about Beyond Oasis a lot lately, and it's like, you know, that's another game I grew up with that it's like, huh, like, originally it was called Story of Thor, right? Yeah, it's and called Thor that in is, Japan. Thor is Norse mythology. There is no reference to Norse mythology anywhere in that whole game. That's one of those I games know. I fully understand why the English localization just decided to rename it entirely. <laughs> so, like, the whole kind of Arabian setting, you know, was interesting. But then the, the, the four spirits, it's like, okay, fine. Like, water, fire makes sense. But then you get Shade, the shadow spirit, and then Bo, the giant plant dude who eats things and it's like pretty wild <laughs> yeah little, and then plus unusual. plus all the like the special moves and stuff you can do with the dagger and it, you know the combat would just had something to offer that you know zelda and other top down the combat definitely has has some influences from like the streets of rage games that ancient yes. was also developing right okay and so, something to consider here i mean the, the japanese title hmm? doesn't use the standard spelling of Thor. Hmm. It's okay. normally written in Katakana. It's the story of Toa. Hmm. Oh, I think so it was the European version that decided that that was Thor. Yeah, it's definitely not Thor, because Thor is always Toru in Japanese. That makes sense. Always. So. Hmm. Um, Good to now know. That explains that mystery. <laughs> I still yeah. have no idea what it's supposed to mean, but it's definitely not Thor. Yeah, it's it's unclear what word is being m gestured at by that katakana. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously some sort of like probably an in-game reference here, but um... yeah. In English, he's Prince Ali, mm -hmm. and effort Luo. Effort the fire spirit kind of looks like the genie from Aladdin. So that this magazine that I used to read had all these jokes in, in their review about, oh man, Disney's going to sue them, you know, Prince Ali. Uh, I don't know. It was weird. Okay, there's a couple questions in the Discord I want to hit before we lose track and completely uh, spiral out of control. Uh, Wait, so I can't sing 
Never heard of no. like me? Okay. Shut fine. the fuck up. <laughs> we're probably yeah. off better we're probably better off with you not singing it. I mean you're better off with me not singing, period. So there's also Okay, that. moving on. Uh Budai asked in the Discord a little while back, did older RPGs or some today expect you to fill in the blanks yourself sometimes, story wise or dialogue wise, can this approach work? Uh I think I think definitely it was it was necessary when you couldn't uh or i should say uh, i shouldn't it was essentially uh, the nature of less representational graphics that you kind of had to fill in a lot more uh and that there was just a degree and layer of abstraction that existed by default with you know top down sprites and world maps and all these abstractions that exist to communicate the notion that there is more to the world than you're actually seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I honestly think that one of the issues that modern games with extremely representational graphics have run into is that losing these layers of abstraction has been extremely harmful to the sense of building a world. Because mm -hmm. you end up with like, you you have all of this stuff that looks like it's supposed to represent everything. Everything that you're seeing is just everything that's there. And that means, like, there's also less of it because they have to spend so much money and time on art assets for everything. So you ultimately end up with a world that has fewer yeah like it's a world that has fewer ways to abstract out the conception of this is there are places of the parts of this that you're not seeing and which is smaller by volume uh and i think that's been extremely damaging to a lot of rpg's capacity to build a world uh because it's it's shrunk the shrunk the real estate without producing a useful uh, framework to obfuscate how much the worlds have shrunk. Also makes it far harder to hide how much of a straight corridor the game is. Yep, yep, definitely. Uh, you know, FF13, 16 both have that issue to some greater or lesser extent. Uh, heck, even going back to FF10, that game is mostly a corridor. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Ten had the benefit of being a pilgrimage narrative, so it was taking advantage of. Yeah, the the narrative, it, it yeah, it, always you moving make the argument that Final Fantasy Thirteen was doing the same thing with its um, with its fugitive narrative. Yeah, it's at least trying to, although it's definitely more obvious because of the ways that it has to contort itself to make use of the art assets that it has. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's the other thing I would say is that uh, when you have abstract uh, world or abstract world building, like like less filled in world building that sort of hints at something existing but doesn't have the space to tell you everything about it, like that's actually very good for player investment. Because people get really attached to the ideas they have when interacting with a game. Isn't uh, this how From Software operates? 
it's it's very much how from software operates uh if you go back to like older rpgs like i i've made this argument before and i'll make it again i think at least 50 percent of final fantasy exists uh, final fantasy 6 exists within the fandom of final fantasy 6's mind like the collective discussion around it yeah and like that it's hardly unique in that it's just one of the ones that is to me most observable just by virtue of the fact that i didn't i was not in that fandom and did not play it fully for many years and then to finally actually play it having heard so much about it and it's like most of the things you're talking about are things you brought to the game and that's that's mm -hmm. true of a lot of these old games uh, even, even a little more recent i remember um in college, I had a friend loan me Wild Arms 2 because somehow I was making more sense of the plot than he was. <laughs> and looking back at it, I'm pretty sure I was literally rewriting sections of it in my head to make sense. <laughs> um, I mean, not actually rewriting the story or anything, but just working my way around the mishmash. Rough translation. translation. <laughs> the point where I could actually, I mean, I was actually, could have actually written a short paper on how every single major character in that game is somehow either obsessed with heroism or the memory of someone else's heroism and how they're trying to either live up to an expectation or f dying from knowing that they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I do love every that. Every single character in that game. Yeah, I do love that that is the core theme of Wild Arms 2, that, like, heroism is something that, uh, it, like a hero is a tag that gets put on someone so that they can be reasonably sacrificed for everyone else. <laughs> mm hmm. But, yeah. I mean, uh, it also means that I'm apparently one of the few people on the internet who seems to understand what was going on with the final boss. <laughs> Good work. I didn't even get that far. Um, oh, this is funny then. Um, so the, the villain and his sister are like lineal descendants of the great hero from the previous times um they realized that there was some sort of literally a eldritch horror encroaching on the solar system mm -hmm. which was causing monsters to appear basically and so like the second half of the game is the, the sky literally breaks as this mm -hmm. thing is coming in closer and so and apparently in order to, for it to completely overwrite the paradigm of current reality, it had to, um, what's right here, permeate through to, um, what are the, what are the, the uh, entities called in that, in that series? The ones that you can summon or use? Um, guardian forces. Thank you. Um, so, like, there was a primordial guardian force that was basically a sea of mud deep within the world, and so they solution for destroying this invasive paradigm was to basically merge with this guardian force and allow the the eldritch horror to what's right over here um uh, incarnate through them so that it, you so that the heroes that they had been developing through either through hiring them or through trying to kill them were able to have a target that they could destroy. And it's, yeah. Eh, I'm doing a very bad job of explaining this, but I mean, it's still better than the game does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a neat game, it's worth going back to. 
<laughs> I, I enjoy it Wild be, Arms. It too. would be really worth retranslating. Yeah, that um, would also be true. Just it needs a second go. Yeah, unfortunately, <sighs> Wild Arms is one of those IPs that has probably been just not necessarily forgotten about, but has been pretty much waylaid over. Except for, of course, for the. Uh, um, so the isn't somebody making a spiritual sequel? Yeah, oh, a bunch Arms of the original Asia. people. But th that's actually worth noting by virtue of the fact that uh, in the Kickstarter it was noted that initially he just pitched, hey, can we make Wild Arms 6 to Sony? And Sony basically told them to fuck off, so... Yep. Uh, not a good sign. Yeah, not great. We're not, saying, we're not seeing them do anything of meaning with Wild Arms essentially ever again. Um, yep. Let's see... Uh, to hit a few more, there's some, like, follow-ups to this question, uh, again, from Budai. Uh, Dragon Quest was always a less dialogue-heavy game. Was this something it maybe relied upon, and if so, do Japanese gamers appreciate the fill-in-the-blank blank approach more than Westerners and prefer things at face value, or is there more, uh, or is there no merit to that? I think you'll find that there's, like, definitely differing, uh, contingents of weirdo uh, in the U.S. and Japan that have, like, extremely strong opinions about game needs to explain in canon everything. Uh, <laughs> but... And that's how you end up with people who are very, like, obsessed with niche concepts of lore. And those definitely do exist in Japan, although perhaps not to quite the same... Uh, degree of all-consuming uh, aspects of... Yeah. There's, there's... But, you know, you definitely still get this kind of person. They're just usually the kind of person who's having arguments about uh, the timeline of Gundam's one-year war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there are people like that in Japan, but yeah, I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Plenty, plenty of them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, there's people like that everywhere yeah, for every it, fandom. It, it was just an argument about like, is that is that a greater or lesser contingent in Japan or America? And it's like I think the proportions are different, but not far enough apart for it to be a huge uh, difference. But just like there's there's less attempts to like perhaps uh comport uh the marketing of a lot of fantasy and sci-fi to meet those people mm -hmm. let's see and is suikoden one of the ultimate fill in the blank series when it comes to characters often beloved characters have very little dialogue but they must be doing something right i think it's mostly that they just have strong designs <laughs> mm. uh, and sometimes very unique like yeah. you have uh, like i always remember this one as being one of the most unique out of you know when you're playing uh suikoden 2 is mm -hmm. The detective guy who does the investigation and tell you the lore behind some of the characters. 
Because I remember him so specifically. Yeah, I'm fine. Some of the ones you're missing. I always remember him because of the fact he he looked he looked like an actual detective, whereas most of these other ones are very flavored theme. And he looks like this 1920s 1930s detective. Mm -hmm. So he stands out. Yeah, I would argue that having like a diverse set of influences in terms of what the designs uh, are pulling from is actually a very key aspect to having a strong design if if you have a strong design but every character sort of looks like it it dilutes that design's strength uh you, you definitely need to be having a lot of uh, degrees of contrasting designs uh, to really make it all uh, fit together and that's that's another thing that uh suikoden is very good at especially because suikoden got very much into this notion of like having a consistent world and deciding that different characters were from different parts of the world and they looked uh like they didn't all have to like look exactly like one like there wasn't just one sort of look for each character from each part of the world but at the same time like they they could draw someone from this part of the world and say yeah that's that's kind of like culturally appropriate given who they are and where they're from Are you going to say something, Gaijin? I thought I heard you. No, no, no. But yeah, so you'll have uh, characters like uh, fucking George Prime or uh, fucking uh, Uber and they're all sort of sharing uh, they'll they'll be sharing space, and they're both like very much warrior designs, but they're clearly warriors from different places, who have uh, thus inherited very different uh, sort of styles about them. And of course, Suikoden also made good use of. Well, we have uh, like most of these games, barring uh, four, are all kind of taking place within about a fifteen-year stretch. So we can just put them together. We can just put characters in multiple games, like Flick and Victor. You're back. Uh, like uh, just just characters or, or Vicky. You get to come back. Like th those characters can keep showing up. So even though they have some of them, will have just pretty bit parts from game to game. Uh, it's it's fine because like you they they do accrete that sort of uh fan interpretation just by virtue of the fact that they keep showing up uh i remember gene hmm? mm but i remember i i think i remember i can't remember how well supported this is in game but there was a a belief like vicky is in all of them mm -hmm. and there was like a belief that she's going through them, not in the order they're occurring, but, like, at the end of every game, she, like, fucking magic sneezes herself into the next game. And there was a belief that she might actually be going through them in the order they're releasing, not the order they're occurring. Mm. Uh, it kind of, she kind of hints at it, too, with her dialogues. Yeah, and that's one of those things that you can you can get away with, because it's just like, she doesn't have to take center stage, you can just, because she just keeps showing up, you can kind of get away with that. And then there's Jean, who... We don't know what her issue was. <laughs> she was always there! Yeah, she's just there. 
hanging out. Selling your runes. <laughs> Getting uh, called a hussy. <laughs> naturally. Which JRPG uh, <laughs> that was my favorite line from Suicoden 5, is her getting called a hussy. <laughs> JRPG has the worst case of uh, racial stereotypes or accidental racism. I don't even want to begin to start with this. I don't know where to start. Yeah, no, I don't. I think that is a yeah, very... Well, we'll set this one aside. I'm sorry. It, it's a, it's a good question. It is one we are better asked to answer in private than on the Q&A quest. Yeah, that, yeah. Let's, let's stick with it that way. Yeah, well, we'll stick a pin in that. If you want to <laughs> discuss this with it off-stream at some point, maybe we can go into that. But for now, we'll set this aside. Um, well, when he said fill in the blanks on that question, I was thinking of, like, silent protagonists. You know? <laughs> oh, I, that's I what you know. were thinking of? I, I, I think I misinterpreted because the whole time you guys are talking, I'm thinking, what's my answer? And it's like, I don't know if I understand the the question. It's, yeah, it's, cause, it's in reference yeah. to the concept of like a game sort of like the, the world of a game or really any story. It's going to be limited to what the author decides to tell. And right. you can tell more or less about that world or those characters, depending upon what you decide to write. And some forms of writing lend themselves very much to the idea of like leaving a lot of a lot sort of on the table for people to interpret okay. as opposed to explaining a lot and whether whether sure. that yeah yeah and whether that uh that method of leaving a lot on the table for fans to interpret increases uh people's uh interest in okay. the world and that's i personally would say that it tends to increase uh if if the parts you show are interesting enough then people get way more attached to their ideas about the parts you didn't show well yeah i mean i always liked how like metroid prime and dark souls for instance like mm. so much of the story is optional you know mm. like if you actually want to scan things and read the lore entries and talk to NPCs in Dark Souls and and get through their rambling nonsense, then yeah, there there's you'll learn like, a lot and you'll get right. a lot of questions. <laughs> right, and so like especially Dark Souls is like man, I played through that game a couple of times and I had no idea what the hell was going on in that game, and I had to I go online and people start talking about oh well you know the Age of Fire ended but they wouldn't let it end and everybody got cursed and so if you get the you go to the secret evil covenant. The secret agent, age of dark ending. <laughs> yeah, and, and then it's like, well, actually, you're supposed to usher in the age of. I'm like, what? Oh, because the age I had of no dark idea what the, the hell was going on in that game. And... So, but yeah, that's one of the things I liked about the IDF. Yeah, like <laughs> impossible dark. But I sports. liked the game. Jesus it's Lord. just <laughs> like, yeah, no, it, it's. That the game does kind of explain what's going on for the most part, but it's like I, I kind of had more fun with it when I didn't know what the story was supposed to be conveying, and I was just focused on just killing shit. So I don't know. Sometimes the mystery is more interesting than the answers. Often, yeah. quite often, yes, quite often. <laughs> okay. Everyone, when you leave a mystery open, everyone can come to an answer that they find satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's worth a lot to a lot of people. Uh, let's see. 
do JRPGs understand Gnostics more than most Westerners? I think it's mostly aesthetic. If you actually like go digging through uh, the beliefs and philosophy of Gnosticism, it, it's mostly for some pretty was, and deep. For some reason there was this huge occultism um, like fad in the late 90s in Japan, mid-late 90s. Mm -hmm. So that includes Gnosticism, that includes Nostradamus. This is why we have refer random references to Anglemois mm. all over the place. Um, like Shin Megami from... Tensei also came out during that, too. Mm -hmm. Shin Megami Tensei was on the leading edge of it. Um, yeah. It, it really hit its stride in the mid-late 90s, so you have, like, Evangelion was steeped in this. Yeah. Um, everything get, uh, talking from Evangelion much to our dismay. Yeah. References, references to things like the Ars Goetia... I mean, um, like, Sergeant Frog was making very deliberate references to it just as a joke. Things yeah. Like that. But it's, it's, it's primaris, primarily aesthetic. That's uh, one of those things that, like, the, the understanding is mostly a launching pad to uh, tell a story rather than to, like, deeply go into any sort of actual Gnostic philosophy or tradition. And I mean, a lot of it just, it was so widespread for a few years that it just, it's this little substrate of manga mm. at this point where, okay, we need something strange and interesting. Okay, we can just dive back to this level and um, we have all the tropes that we need. Yep, pull out all these these weird old Gnostic shits. Um... And I mean, nobody really understands it because, hey, why not? But, um, but it's something that we can reference and will make sort of sense in that people have kind of heard this before. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, have you guys checked Aya Nishitani's Twitter, author of the Megami Tensei novel? Has a lot of good posts about Japanese occultism technology and video games. Uh, 80s Japanese occultism technology and video games. I have not. I'll have to maybe look into that. Uh... Let's see. Yeah, the trend I see a lot in some uh, Japanese games and anime and stuff is the idea of if we just kill a whole bunch of people, then we'll somehow summon a god that we can then kill or control or something. Like, mm. you know, like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Kind of, well, Full Metal mm. Alchemist kind of does that, but also um, Final Fantasy Thirteen kind of does that. Like. That, that story didn't make a whole lot of sense either. It was like, okay, we're going to sacrifice all of these people and summon Ragnarok and blah, blah, blah. Like, what? Yeah. There's, there's a, so, that's know. another one where, like Dark Souls, there's a lot of lore on the edges that make it make more sense. Except for that, in that case, it's all compiled into the goddamn codex. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. I'm not saying. Um, let me be clear. I'm not saying it puts stuff on the edges as like Dark Souls does. It's just that the, it has a whole bunch of stuff, stuff that is yes. in there, but yeah. not uh, for uh, putting, not elegantly inserted. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of cool stuff there that seems to have primarily been thrown out so they could make two and three. I, I don't think that there was a way to make a sequel to that no, game that made a lot not. of use in no, that lore. No. <laughs> uh, let's see. But yeah, and I, I would honestly say that uh, I, I do think that that is one of those one of those issues you get with like codexes or active time lore or whatever that like 
it gives it, it gets used as like kind of a writing crutch hmm. where you can just sort of like they're kind of to some extent trying to sort of have their cake and eat it where it's like oh here's all the stuff that like is in the world but we don't have space to show you it and then it's just like okay but you on some level like a lot of and this this is really hard you run into this issue of like you're writing these things and it's kind of hard to uh to usefully uh delineate well what does the player need to know and what don't they need to know and so but you have this other option of like oh well i can throw it in at the edge here and it can sort of be there for people who are curious but like you end up with like all of this stuff that just crowds around the edges that like some of it should just be in the main game and some of it should probably just be cut and left to interpretation because it's just not that interesting <laughs> and well I was actually yeah. commenting on the newer stuff in the chat. <laughs> Not so much. Yeah, this. I'm just, uh, I, I'm just yeah. still building off of some of the other stuff that was being talked about. Okay, yeah, because I was just saying, what, I didn't know what Gnostic meant. Like, I've heard of agnostic. But I Gnosticism I looked... is a real old, like, right. early Christian Greek philosophy uh, mixture. Yeah. So when he was like, saying, how did so many JRPGs... Yeah, he's like, how did they get so into Gnostics? And and when I looked up Gnostics, I'm like, that's not really what I see in a lot of games. That that's yeah. So my my comment just now was more so on that topic. Like, yeah, yeah I was going off on a wild tangent. Okay, uh, but Gnosticism is off absolutely... on a wild tangent on this show. What? What? Uh, Gnosticism is absolutely <laughs> like a. If you if you go looking at the actual like underlying concepts like the the notion of like the demiurge shows up a lot as like the the justification for this is why at the end of the game you're killing God. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's rare that you get like the other aspects around it. Uh, like Persona Five is one of the ones I can think of where it's like oh they they did more than just demiurge, <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, let's see, so to hit some of these other questions that we've gotten, uh, Fireminer helpfully recompiled some of these questions so that I would not have to go digging through Discord chat. Many thanks. Uh, since we probably won't be able to hit all of these, I'm going to make like a supplementary document to make sure that we get to them. But uh, for now, uh, we've talked about the need to constantly... Uh, be reinvent for Final Fantasy to be constantly reinventing itself, being one of the core characteristics of Final Fantasy. Leads to, but that leads to the question: What games in the franchise would have been less popular had it not carried the name? And uh, brings up potentially twelve. Uh, I think a lot of them might actually they wouldn't have sold as well, but they'd be better thought of <laughs> uh, if they if they just didn't have the weight of expectation. Uh, I, when I think of that, I think specifically of like, twelve has become very fashionable to like now. But when it came out, it was super, super divisive. This game plays itself. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I just I still haven't ever been able to finish it. I just kind of find it boring. But it's not because it's playing itself. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, and then, uh, like, I think especially 13 without the weight of expectation uh, probably would have gotten a warmer reception. Uh, I mean, I'm not... I was thinking about 13 today, just like, again, let me be clear, I like Final Fantasy 16. But I feel like not me. <laughs> you take take any not Vista me. in Final Fantasy thirteen, and I think anyone uh. would be prettier than any location in Final Fantasy sixteen. In, in terms of art design, yeah, yes, definitely. In terms of and, art design. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Everybody loves Final that, Fantasy sixteen. Not, not me. me. <laughs> Everyone who counts loves. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, Budai saying that he's a lover of Middle Eastern fiction, so FF12 hit home for me more than the others. Yeah, Evil East definitely is in like a weird place where it's like the one that actually had a bunch of other things set in it and kind of expanded that world. But yeah, I like 12 a lot. Even though Evil East is honestly interesting because while it is technically one world, it's generally very loath to repeat areas that are identifiably the same mm. which is an interesting uh contrast to a lot of the other ones but it was a good way of making it feel like a big world uh like when you keep bringing back the old things it, it shrinks the sound it, it gives the sense that the world is smaller than it should be but... does here's a question does mm. tactics advance take place in a different Ivalice? Is it the same Ivalice? How does that work? The answer, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. But nerd, nerds on the internet will probably have pondered this thing. Oh, definitely. So my answer is unask the question. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I don't want to. I don't want to. Yes, I don't. Okay, doesn't moving on. It doesn't matter. And uh, again... Uh, that's another game I'd love to see a remaster of. Mm -hmm. That game, but yeah. Get rid yeah. of the judgment. I mean, I understand why the card system's there. Get rid of it. No. No, I, no, no. I refuse. Request denied. Cards are dumb. No, I mean, I would if I had to get rid of one thing, I'd say rework the land make system. Hmm. Yeah. I thought the land make system was a two. No, the landmix system was A1. A2 was where you just they set things on the like, map, right? Yeah. A2 was okay, one I where the map was set, but so were the laws. So each spot on the map had a specific law that you had to follow. And there was no way to mess with it. There was no way to abrogate it or turn it to your advantage because also all of the negatives for breaking the law applied solely to your side of the fight. Yeah, it just it just made it so that it was an uninteractive system. It was just a series yeah. of uh, yeah. you're not allowed to do the thing that you want to do. <laughs> yeah. And even worse, if the other side does the thing that you're not allowed to do, you still get punished. What? Baffling. Baffling choice. Yeah, because um, the two penalties for breaking the law was, one, your team abilities go out the window, and two, you are no longer allowed to resurrect um, downed party members. And this is applied across the map, regardless of who broke the law. Dreadful. If you're on a quest where breaking the law ends the quest, then, yeah. 
I do uh, I do also feel like it's worth pointing out with tactics advance you can't remove the law system without breaking the plot <laughs> too very much so I f I had a I found a uh, mod that actually removed the law system like you can do that but uh... like the plot, the plot no longer feeds into itself the way that yeah. it's supposed to because like there is a marriage of mechanic and narrative that I think is very valuable in tactics yeah, I mean the the increasing number of laws in effect and severity of penalties is directly reflective of how paranoid the queen's getting yeah no, no i i see i at least got to the point when i initially played it where three laws were being applied to to each map so i understood it all i just don't like the system yeah i understand I, I how the, the integral it is of the plot i understand you know the importance to the story i understand why it's there i just don't like it okay yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, I'm never going to agree with you. <laughs> but the geo panels and Disgaea. Because you get your hands if, if off you got, the geo panels. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying if you if you get into especially um the the post game like Dimension X maps or whatever, it's like some of the panels like seriously there is like an actual like game over geo panel if if like if one of your units is on one of those tiles at the end of the turn you go back to the title screen it's insane <laughs> yeah oh Let's see uh hit another couple questions from this list Given the cost of making games has gone up while Tri-Ace hasn't gotten bigger, all the while pretty much everything under the sun has been quote-unquote innovated, can we ever expect anything really weird from them again? And Treasure and Alpha System too. Well, I don't think either of those companies exist in a meaningful sense anymore. I think Alpha System literally went out of business. Uh, or am I thinking of... I'm thinking of Alpha Dream, actually. Say Alpha uh, System is still about three miles um, east of me. So. Yeah, I'm thinking of Alpha Dream. Uh... Alpha Try System. Yeah. I don't know that Alpha System. I don't think we're really going to see anything much out of them. Treasure basically only exists to license their library content at this point. They don't make games anymore. They haven't since Geist Crusher God on 3DS in like 2014. Oh, they did so, that one? Uh, yeah. That was okay. like their last game. What is that? It is a weird Capcom published. 3DS Japan only sort of action multiplayer RPG of some description, as I recall. Kind of, yeah. Um, okay. it, I remember it being similar to like Final Fantasy um, Explorers a little bit. Yeah, sort of a yeah. sort of like a, one of those things that's like this isn't Monster Hunter, and it doesn't pretend to be Monster Hunter, but it has like some influence from that, but it, like with different <laughs> style, like diff we've we've tweaked some of the levers to in terms of and proportions of different kinds of content. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Wheels never played Geist Crusher God. Now that I think about it. <laughs> Aside from the fact that it never got, came out of Japan and he never asked well, that, me to send him a That copy. wouldn't stop him. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can find copies now. Um, yeah, sadly. But, I haven't really looked, so, in a few but, years. Yeah. You, you, see, uh, you, you do see Trice trying some things, but, like, they got bought by a company that makes phone things, and they're the console division of that, and they mostly seem to 
be sort of put on trying to keep their older franchises on life support. And they, they still try to innovate within like Star Ocean. Like Six is still doing some weird things, but there's only so much that they have the budget to do. <laughs> Although Six did very, very well. I do wish that they, for example, um, remember that sometimes less is more and like Beyond the Labyrinth was really innovative while not actually doing very much. Hmm. But I think we might still see some some weird uh some weird shit out of Triace. Like there's there's nothing new under the sun, so like innovation will always be about interesting recombination. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that there's you know, there's an infinite space for that. So uh let's see. Gonna save that one for potentially discussing off stream. Uh, one thing I noticed when watching Monty Python is that it was written by people uh, that belong to the upper class who made in jokes the kind of people with a uh, gentleman's club membership might appreciate. Is there any game written like that? Because I think only like half of Monty Python was actually upper class and the other were. Upper and other half was lower. Yeah, there's definitely some some stuff that's upper class in jokes and lower class kinds of jokes. That's part of making a good comedy troupe, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they yeah, have to appeal to a wide audience. And also, just the the collision of those two sensibilities draws out a lot of extra jokes. But uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to think of. Anything with a strong enough uh, com like comedic writing identity that that fits into because like when you look into uh, like you can definitely see it in like TV when you look at something like the real old season of The Simpsons is basically like a weird uh, Harvard graduate club. And that shows in a lot of the writing. Uh, but I'm trying to think of anything in games that really speaks to that. And I'm, I'm kind of just drawing a blank. Uh, major major game writing tends to find its home in trying to be very blockbustery, and it never really has had a period of like. Uh, a point where you could sort of make a game whose primarily primary scenarists were essentially a boys club. So we're not doing at which season the symptoms got bad. I'm not doing that. I just wanted to bring up uh, I just wanted to bring that up as another example of that sort of thing. But, um the jockey episode. No, that episode that episode works on the basis of being the stupidest thing they could have come up with. That's uh, You're the stupidest thing they could have come up with. Wow. They didn't come up with me. Boom. <laughs> All natural. <laughs> <boom. laughs> Let's see. Who were supposed to sack those who were sacked have now been sacked. Um, Dave, uh, Dave knows I am giving him utter crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually... Um... <laughs> you know I love you, Dave. 
I know, I know. Um, let's see. Okay, we recently over, uh, talked about spectacle overshadowing messages, but what about vibes overshadowing messages? I know two guys who fantasize about being mobsters, not because they want to strike it rich, but because they want to hang out uh, and bullshit like Goodfellas has a strongly hanging out with the boys vibe. I mean, but there is definitely a tendency for people to be perhaps uh, more uh, in to ignore actual events uh, and occurrences within plots because of like a mood that they got from it. Mm-hmm. So I think I get where you're coming from, and there's definitely games I can think of uh, where like the vibe people got from it uh, sort of ignores the material reality of it. Infamously, back in the day, this was kind of an issue that people had around FF7 to the point where it reached a point where people who had worked on the game commented on it. Uh, I, I think I've brought up this interview before, but right when Advent Children came out, there's some interviews with Yoshinori Kitase and... Tetsuya Nomura that are just like them basically saying yeah Cloud didn't act like this in the game but it's what people think of him as acting like so we made up a plot reason for why he acts like this now (laughs) (laughs) and yeah that's that's definitely very much a people got vibes from FF7 and sort of ignored what the game was And that's, you know, that's honestly a large part of the enduring legacy of a lot of pieces of media. Which is part of why you you run into issues of a lot of media that has strong intended messages uh, being wildly and woefully misinterpreted because people... Fight Club. Hmm? Fight Fight Club, yeah. People got a vibe off Fight Club. And ignored what Fight Club was actually saying because it sounded really mm-hmm. cool to punch each other. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, a lot, that happens a lot with a lot of movies, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. It's yeah. just one of those. Like that's a, that's an obvious one. People, uh, people really tend to like. It becomes most obvious in stories that involve a heavy element of extreme crime. <laughs> uh, so you know, Fight Club. Uh, Goodfellas, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, that sort of thing. Like, all those, you definitely get a degree of people got vibes off them and misinterpreted them. Uh, and that... I, I don't think it's actually something that's possible to correct for. Because there are an infinite amount of ways to misinterpret things, especially when you just enjoy some aspect of them. It's impossible to fully correct for it. You you do your best to, to send your message as best you can, but at some point, it's, it's the whole, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink. You can, uh, you can put as many messages as you want, and there will still be people surprised that Metal Gear Solid is anti-war and anti-nuclear war. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
there any fictional character you think is only good in small doses? Personally, I think DC, uh, I think DC overuses Lobo. And I must not be watching much. Uh, I seen Lobo much in forever. And maybe but, maybe he was more common in the comics at one point. Yeah, but... he maybe still is. I mean, I don't read Superman. Yeah, I remember the 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 most Lobo I have ever been fucking exposed to was the episode of Justice League that had Lo Lobo on it. Potentially for the first time, I don't know if he showed up more than once, but that entire episode was basically this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if we're gonna say DC, I'd almost say like, I don't know, do they use Deathstroke too much? Oh, Deathstroke the Terminator? Yeah. <laughs> that fucking name. Oh, I know. If we're doing comic book characters, there's entirely too much Venom and Carnage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wildly yeah, overexposed. You, you guys went on that rant like a couple weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that, so well that was I'm, more no, about Carnage, no. though. God, we're not, we're not, we're, I, I understand Tam's point. Let's leave it at that, let's leave it at that. I will, I will list one more that is just infamous for overexposure, Wolverine. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh, which which yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you have to ask really is the marker, isn't it? Yes. But yeah. I mean, uh, also, I, I there's think... two different versions of the current Wolverine. Yeah. I, I do think... Oh, uh, by Hugh Jackman? No. 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 I'm not going into this. <laughs> we're, we're done. Okay, <laughs> moving on. It's not Logan. Is there any, but to go back to this question of if, if are there any uh, characters you think, fictional characters you think are only good in small doses, I think a lot of supporting characters in media, you kind of get, uh, like, especially like really popular supporting characters, you, you tend to get an object lesson in why they're supporting characters when you when you see attempts to spin them off mm. because it's like oh this character is really popular so we'll make a story around them and like 80% of the time it tanks because they're just not built to support stories they're they're built to be in the like sidelines and make the existing more like like less fun but also more rounded characters function so you get things like the fucking attempt to spin off Dwight in the U.S. office where they tried to make an episode around him and it, the episode is dreadful. It doesn't make any sense. The idea of having a fucking show around that character doesn't work. And I think that's really common, actually, for these mm. kinds of secondary characters that get really popular. It's funny. That's what I thought was going to happen to the Peacemaker show. Yeah, that one's one of those weird ones where you wouldn't think that there was enough meat on those bones. No. But James Gunn's built. James Gunn is built different. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes it works, and it's rare. But when the times it does work is what compels everyone to try the other. Yeah, times. that's a good yeah, point too. But there, I mean, there are a lot of characters that they they reach the apex of their capacity. Their like dramatic capacity in this in a secondary role and mm -hmm. then you have stuff like Mork and Mindy then we have Frasier you know Frasier yeah. has mm -hmm. left the building another good example yeah. Frasier in part worked because he's actually to go back to a prior question 
in Cheers, he's not a super well sketched character for large portions of his existence. So the they actually had a lot of space to build new things around him to make him work as a primary character when they spun yeah. him off. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he's uh he's kind of an exception to what we're saying here is he mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's a but, great but show. I, that's that ran for 11 seasons. Yeah. That ran longer um, than Cheers did. They tried to reboot it too. Yeah. Oh, di but, didn't I hear they were going to reboot it without Niles and I'm like, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? Um there was a reason why. Oh. Oh. Let's not think about that. Moving on. The reason. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So the thing I I did want to get at though was that like that's the that's the thing you run into is that uh, a lot of these characters uh, that end up as secondary characters they do get explored quite a bit, and you run into like the issue of well you kind of ran yourself out of things to do with them by the time you decided to to make them the focus. And uh, one of the advantages, like I said, that Fraser had was that, like, he was not designed to, he was not intention, intended to ever appear more than once on Cheers. And so tons of aspects of Fraser were free to be either written from whole cloth or uh, rewritten around so extensively that you could just sort of do, he was a much more malleable character than a lot of. Uh, supporting characters can sometimes be so that um. uh, kind of reminds me of uh, sorry. even before that uh, Rhoda who was a character mm -hmm. in Mary Tyler Moore mm -hmm. you know she actually had a spinoff too yep mm -hmm. what's with these homies this and my girl uh, sorry I was, just, uh, I was thinking about how like I never got sick of Sideshow Bob because he was only in one episode per season, but could you imagine them trying to do a whole season of story arc with Sideshow Bob? Or no, that would never work. No. Yeah. It reminds me of there was in the '90s there was like repeated references to the idea of a live-action Krusty the Clown pilot that they what? kept they kept getting shopped around at various points, and like they had all of these weird joke ideas for this pilot that like apparently at one point was potentially pitched but essentially everyone came to the conclusion of like this would be funny for the length of maybe one episode and then it would just be miserable and so like that's what killed that idea <laughs> uh but oh, I yeah good, he... i have a good video game example of this mm -hmm. the printy games yeah <laughs> they're very fun in the background and then you try to make them like even ignoring like gameplay which is going to be hit or miss because it's a ghost and goblins knockoff but you you make them all of like everyone who's talking is a goddamn pretty and it's like oh my god i'm sick of it i'm sick of it stop <laughs> dude, 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 dude 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 they're 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 very fun when they're just background they're they're very fun when they're just background little weirdos that occasionally get thrown and explode yeah the second that they have to do more than that, you're just like, oh, stop, please. Yeah, I was, the, I was thinking, I was trying to think of stuff like this, and I almost brought up, like, Etna Mode from the re-releases of the first Disgaea, but I think that actually... That one kind of works. There's enough works, meat yeah. on it in the bones. Yeah. Uh, but Prinny... Axel Mode does really... not. What mode? Axel. Axel Mode. 
Axel oh, Lord. I forgot Dark that Hero existed. Day. Yeah, that that that's them attempting the same idea, and Axel is another character who really only works as a secondary character. Yeah. Like there didn't was it three that had the thing where like everyone's getting turned into Axels and it's No, that's four. <laughs> oh it's four. <laughs> And that that yeah, kind of works. The antivirus. Because that kind of works. One, because it's only. It, it's like this. one chapter, and two, it's designed to be super irritating. I, love it. Oh. I, only, I only know this because I watched Hairfrog go through that chapter on Tuesday. <laughs> oh my god, I love that chapter so much. But, but listen, Just though, uh, I want. I want a disguise game where Asagi is the protagonist and. Desco is the final boss, okay? Uh, she wasn't no. supposed to be a Disgaea protagonist, though. That's, I don't care. Desco is a precious girl, and sh she should be hugged. She's a good girl. Desco mm. needs to become the final boss. <laughs> it's her destiny. She deserves her own game. What, what, she was supposed to be in some game that got cancelled, and I'm trying to remember what if, it was, if its name was ever even mentioned. Okay. Okay. You know, that's that's the thing I you know, that's the thing I'd like to see this guy do more often is cause like two brought back Etna and like Axel shows up in some other games. Just like the DLC stuff is great, but it is kind of fun to just bring in these old characters for actual story purposes. Well six had, do that more. Well six had the whole crew from Disgaea one. Uh were they not yeah, after you beat the main game. Yeah, no, I mean, like, in the main game. Oh. Is what I mean. Because, like, Axel is part of the main game in 4, and, like, Etna is a main character in 2. Like, uh, I think it's kind of fun when they do that in the series, and I wish they did it more. I gotta be careful. But... Yeah, no, I don't mean, like, all the time, but... Mm -hmm. It's kind of... Yeah. Kind of fun. Uh, they've done it. It's it's good that they've leaned on the side of caution. And have too much of a good thing. <clears throat> I mean, it says Ed has tons of costumes and alternate version in the mobile disguise. Not even slightly surprising. Yeah. Considering I'm the master of the gotcha games around here, yeah, does not surprise me in the least. Did that gotcha game die? I can't keep track of any of these. I think it was more that it was in, having trouble in development. I think it did eventually just come out, and I think might still be running. No, it, it is. Oh. it did come out. That's, that's yeah, it's still it's still running. It's it's available on Steam. Yeah, yeah I think it, I think it was an issue where like they had. They had a, it ran into a lot of development trouble before it came out. Yeah. Um, Who do I ask? Can a game overcome one of the sum of its parts being subpar? Yeah. I think a lot of games can. Uh, he brings he brings up FF16. I don't think that one does, but that's because I personally think that it has actually a lot of parts that are kind of bad. Uh, but we're I'm I'm setting that aside because I talked about it too much before. Um, there, there, yeah, there's a I mean there's a lot of games where some people can get over one aspect and enjoy it um, immensely, and other people can't. Um, Star Ocean Six, as I mentioned earlier, I loved the game. I actually 
beat it. I had no issue. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Hero Harmony tried to play it on stream for us, and mm -hmm. if he he hated it. Mm -hmm. You know, not mm -hmm. every game's going to appeal to everybody, but they're yeah, they're oh, people who finish. will. And I've heard a lot of people say there's definitely some issues with Final Fan parts of Final Fantasy 16 they don't like, but they overall really enjoy it. I've not also me. heard plenty of people uh. being David's side where yeah. he just can't stand it. So that's fine. It's a very divisive game. Uh, the thing I would bring up for this in terms of games that have uh, a lot of aspects of them that are almost universally agreed to be kind of bad, but people like them anyway, uh, I would bring up the original Nier, mm. uh, a game that does not particularly appeal to me, but I, I cannot deny that like that is one of those games that people consider to be more than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's Holly uh, and Marie released today. Yeah. Wheels has already obtained a copy. Oh, Jesus. I just, have to, I just have to download the DLC. Thunder. Yeah. Maybe we should get this done sooner than later. <laughs> so uh, the Wheels doesn't uh, get struck by lightning. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, no, there's thunderstorm here, too. Yeah. What? You're, well, you're not talking about the weather? Here, no, I am talking about the weather. I'm having these random oh. thunderstorms. Oh, yeah, no. The. <laughs> Yeah, the friggin' I, I was mostly thinking that I don't want to. Uh, if if you're if there's if anything that may affect your power or something. Yeah, if anything may affect your power. Yeah. So I'm gonna hit. Uh, we we hit one set of uh, fire miners questions. We'll hit the other set next week. I want to hit one from the big list, and then we will close this out. Uh, so let's hit the big list. We'll check the big list. Like we that. always check the big list. This is a short My question, and I will like stay on. Yeah. Okay, okay, then we'll keep it so short so that you'll still be here to plug. Um, yeah. Plug, plug. <laughs> plug, 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 plug. Um, okay, we need to find one of these short... Uh, one of these is both short in terms of question and short in terms of answer. Uh, mm -hmm. Could you imagine a Metal Gear Solid but in Japan kind of game? Wouldn't it just be Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> uh, I mean, certainly there's uh, always room for <laughs> any any major any major or minor power has a place for a spycraft sort of. Uh, game and you wouldn't I have to would go. I'd like full. to point out the, the, the official country actually has a military. Yeah, I'd it also helps, like to. You can still I, spycraft elsewhere. I would like to point out <laughs> that the Ghost in the Shell game was actually you driving around in the tanks. Yeah, a little Fuchikama. I love uh, th that game. It, I almost beat that game once. It's a neat I game. Got, it was made by the people who made Jumping Flash. <laughs> yeah, the pro one. The only problem is I got really late in this game, and there's a very dark level that you're playing, and you're have and there's some jumping puzzles to this while you're riding these tanks. And you had to go like between floors and ceilings and stuff, and you're trying to navigate this, and there's like gaps. But because of how dark the map was, how dark the things you're landing on, and the fact that it was nighttime. In the game, you know, that level was being being done at night. It was so dark you couldn't see where the hell you needed to go. 
<laughs> good? Uh, yeah. Uh, but also, I don't think that it per se has to be Ghost in the Shell because that uh, adds in a layer of cyberpunk that is not necessary for the concept. But Again, uh, since, I mean, Japan's only military extent is the, is the self-defense force, you're not really going to get much of the themes that you would need for Metal Gear in Japan. Mm. You would probably need some of that um, cyberpunk. You don't per se have to, you just have to imagine a more uh, ascendant uh, militaristic wing of the LDP. <laughs> you don't need to go full cyberpunk for that, you just need to imagine a very shitty 20 years from now. Yeah, but they would, I mean, you'd still have to have a... It's, like, it's a long road to getting Japan to full militarization. That's why I say a very shitty 20 years from now. <laughs> Yeah, but anything that's that bad is probably just going to leave the planet completely incapable of doing anything else anyway. But yeah, in any case, I think it's not... Uh, it doesn't require going full cyberpunk to do, but it does definitely require some rejiggering. But, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that fills us out on our New Year's uh, resolution quota. Uh, we have touched the big list. The big list will never die uh, at this rate, but we will keep trying. Uh, I, mean, we've... But... I mean, it helps that we're getting a lot more feedback through the uh, through the Discord and whatnot every week, though. I kind of yes, like. I... Oh, I don't. I, I I am not complaining. Just just saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Will never should we, answer, should we answer all the questions. Last question in the chat. Sure. Sure. Uh... FF8 is a sum of its parts game to me. Can the art and production assets overcome the mechanics? Or is that is that 8 or 16? Wasn't looking. Uh, eight. FF8. Eight. Okay. Uh, to me, no, not really. I, uh, I actually have been trying to play FF8 this week and have found myself just befuddled by it still. <laughs> I'd use a guide eight is, to finish eight's it. one of those where you really need to just go back to the basics of the plot and find a better way of telling it. Because I don't they, even mean just did, the plot; I mean the mechanics too. <laughs> and that goes I've, hand in hand with that. I mean, like, yeah. The, I am uh, glad that it was only an eight-hour game. Wait, what? And I am so I, I'm because I recently played something that, yeah, art definitely played a factor into why I kept playing it. Because I play Galaxy Fryline Unit 2. Oh, I thought you were saying you beat Final Fantasy 8 in 8 hours. That would have been yeah, I didn't understand no, that notion. No, <laughs> no, no I, pl I play Galaxy Fryline Unit 2, where it is it's a it's for the most... Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And I beat Final. It had three games and two OVAs. And I have now completed all of Galaxy Fryline Unit. Yes, I, I, one of my goals in life. And, 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 this has been a goal since high school, by the list. way. I'm not Cross joking about the, the goal. List. Yeah, that is that is actually that was actually on my bucket list. But Galaxy mm -hmm. Frontline Unit Two is has the worst combat mechanics of any video game I have ever played. Wow. Have, have you played Lagoon on Super Nintendo? I have not. No, we're not doing Lagoon. Why would you bring up Lagoon? Why? But, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, 
I will. I mean, if you want, you can go watch the streams. I have them saved on our Discord. On 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 of the Lagoon. Uh, no, of our okay. uh, of Galaxy Fraulein. But th that's a good segue for closing out tonight. Lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> no, wheels. I will <laughs> take you out behind the shed and murder you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at the fact you go lagoon. I will drown you in a lagoon wheel. <laughs> You'd have to find one in Connecticut. <laughs> oh, I'm ambitious. I know some. I know some. I know some good ponds, though. Oh, we got We're moving on. We are moving on because I don't want to have to spoil too much of my intents and designs for Wheels of Life. <laughs> moving yeah. on. Tell us Moving about on. RV Gamer streams. Yes, so I, along with five other people, stream seven days a week at twitch.tv slash... Sorry. At uh, twitch.tv slash RP Gamer. Uh, all, all sorts of games being played right now. Uh, although I have beat... I beat the last of Galaxy Frontline units today, so I am going to be going back to Atelier and playing Atelier Iris 2 as off of Destiny, which nice. I start Sunday. So, yeah, no, I've, I've beaten it once before, but... Grand but Phantasm? Is that the third one? <laughs> I really like the the art style of Gus's PS2 games. They're very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, although I'm not a fan of uh, Phantasm. That was the third I don't one, like... right? Yeah, that's the third one. I'm not a big fan of the uh, limited time in the maps thing. I think that's the one that people seem to like the least. I haven't played it, but... <coughs> yeah, but... I will put up with it. Oh, Sekiro. Um, so yeah, so uh, if you follow us, uh, if you're interested at twitch.tv slash rpgamer, again, we have all sorts of people, all sorts of personalities, and all sorts of games that we are playing. You will not see a single, any two streamers play the same game at the same time. That's cool. Mostly because we're, we're not crazy enough to play some of the, some of the games that some of the others are. Like, uh, Hairfrog, who's uh, in charge of the team, is playing through all of the Disgaea games, including defeating Bale in every game. That's madness. I don't How does he have that much time on his hands? I don't even try and do that. I do that. He, he's, he's, he, is, uh, he beat the main story of four today, so now he's on the grind for Bale. Beat Jesus. Oh, so he's up to five. Uh, no, he's not up to five yet. He's he's on the road to bail in four right now. Yeah, I know. Maybe How many hundred hours, next, hundreds uh, of hours has it taken? I don't even want to contemplate it. <laughs> Actually, it's so... I'll have to ask him, because I'm curious if he's going to do D2. He is. We're sending... He's, we he's we as RP Gamer have... Five? We, uh, he, 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 it is in shipment to him right now. <laughs> as a special off, as a special gift from RP Gamer, cool. we are getting him. RP Gamer is getting him a copy of Disgaea D two to play. Cool. I actually like that off. game. The story <laughs> is trash. The story is trash, but I actually really enjoyed that game a lot. Yeah. When no one was talking. Mm -hmm. Which is so. honestly most of your time with that game. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, but uh, you know, so that uh, that's so again, Twitch.tv/rpgamer. But uh, I I am always interested in some new books to read. Gaijin. Yes. 
Okay, so yes, yeah, so if you like tabletop RPGs, if you like watching other people play tabletop RPGs, and it's an entire thing these days, um, if you're interested in that kind of experience in a narrative format, either ebook or Dead Tree, we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu. I A R I M I Z U. Um, Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. And at the moment, we are running a crowdfunder to help um, offset costs for things like really nice cover art because we really appreciate our artist over in Croatia. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, hopefully, you know, getting some different books from completely different plot um, ideas out eventually in the, sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so check out our crowdfunder. It should be in the links at some point, maybe eventually. It'll or be just, in the episode description, or I'll kill the, wheels. It's in the episode <laughs> description for last week. It's not in for this week, because I had to rush that one up. Then yeah. you will be putting it in in the morning, or your life is forfeit. <laughs> I was already forfeit mm-hmm. for making too many lagoon jokes. Yeah, well, oh, well, you don't want to know where it's going to go. <laughs> yes. But yes, so yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. We have um, currently 11 episodes, 3 side stories, and a paralogue. Or, I want to say close to 400,000 words of content ongoing. Um, Tolstoy so. or Pizza Parlors? Who do I choose? <laughs> it, I mean, War and Peace is at 560-something thousand words. Good at some point. <laughs> I, I even I even make a self-referential joke in episode 11 because half the cast is doing their summer reading at the last minute, and <laughs> the girl cute. is described as um, having one of those um, one of those kids series that attempted to outdo War and Peace in word count in 50 <laughs> short installments. <laughs> and then, just for good measure, just for good measure, I pair or I almost directly quote my single three-star review for the first episode. Her opinion for the first book in the series, um, yeah, <laughs> including including typo, <laughs> because okay. this review meant somehow mentioned typo the word ebook, and um, so I, I nope. play with that. Nope, not gonna not gonna contemplate how that happened. <laughs> I don't know either, but I mean, it's just it turns it makes it just makes it a little bit funnier. Uh, Typography is weird, ain't it? <laughs> yep. But yeah, give that a look. Give that a look, and you know, a uh, lot of a lot of interesting ideas in the crowdfunder. So, yes. oh yeah, that's the other thing is, um, the, yeah, the crowdfunder. You can either just give however much you want, or you can also just choose a thing like um, hundred yen. Since I mean, somehow this all got set to yen. Um, <laughs> you can get two uh, two ebooks of your choice, plus vote for whatever I am attempting to publish next. Mm-hmm. Currently, I have. Um, this looks like two votes for two votes for the mermaid adventure and two mer- votes for the um, Japanese animal story com- um, compilation. You could break the tie. <laughs> There's like six items to vote for, so just or you can just vote yeah. For you can also vote for something else entirely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so give that a look, and you know can get access to some uh, to you know reduced price uh, ebooks and also you know get a say on what uh, what our friendly neighborhood gaijin will uh, might write next so oh no i mean most of the stuff that's being voted for is already written it's just a question uh, of what should i focus on getting focus into on next mm-hmm. 
Oh, only one of those items is not actually finished. Oh dang! And, and that's just because it's a it's a tetralogy where I'm working on book four right or book three right now. Oh. I wish I had that level of industriousness. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean that this this all represents a about, bit over a decade of randomly writing everything possible. Like I said, wish I had that level of industriousness. <laughs> yeah, so give that a look and uh, maybe uh, maybe help roll the dice on what Gaijin should focus on getting published next. Um, Joe, I know you're about to fall asleep. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead and I'm plug before time you. Time to plug. Okay. So, um, well, you didn't ask me what I have been playing lately. I think I jumped in too late for that, but... Um, we didn't go I, over what I was playing either, so... <laughs> uh, so, I did stream Chrono Trigger twice, yeah. and I'm going to move on to something else tomorrow on my stream, and that is Smoke Joe Gamer on Twitch.tv and YouTube. And I actually have a Mastodon account now. Whoa. So, you can follow me on there if you're so inclined. Yeah. Um... So I was playing that. Today I finally beat Resident Evil 4 Remake, so I can yeah. scratch that off my list. Um, and I, I will be replaying it, I'm sure, probably in October if I do Hello Stream again. That's a good idea. Yeah. So I'm still doing JRPGs for the rest of this month. Um, my thought is to maybe do some East 8 and then East 9. Good luck. I think good I might want to do that. Yeah. Both, both are very good. Yeah. Right, and I wanted to do them in that order, and, and not, mm -hmm. I don't, not that it matters, but Still so fair. that's where you can catch me. Well, nine does nine does happen after eight. Okay, not always a guarantee with these. Yes, no, not, not always no. a guarantee, right. but nine does actually happen after eight. <laughs> At all, Christian is uh, does many things in his life, doesn't he? Is nine um, uh, is nine yeah. the, the latest? Chronologically, I believe so chronologically far. it's the current latest. No, no, I think there's actually one after it. Uh, you sure? I um, I'm. I have to pull up a time. Whenever it comes to ease, I have to pull up a timeline. What have I done? <laughs> We've talked about so, East. So listen, like we know East that East usually takes us off track. We know that East. We know that uh, the life of Adolf Christian doesn't end until he's in his sixties. Okay. And I believe so, the latest he's ever been portrayed as is in his early twenties. Okay, so yes, uh, East Nine is indeed latest chronologically. It takes place in what is called twenty four AC, basically okay. AC being the after the birth of Adolf Christian. Oh, <laughs> year, year of this, year of our Adolf. Oh, yeah, this timeline's slightly different than I thought. So it's eight, and then six, and seven, and then nine. Yeah. Yep. I believe eight takes place like right after five. Yes. Yes. So and you have, like some of your stuff from five in the open. And then uh, ten will take place between three and five. That's weird. That's weird. Because it's basically before he gets wrecked in those islands. So I mean, Adol doesn't die until he's like sixty-five, but we were still we were getting into his early twenties. We were getting we were cutting it close there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he 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 dies like in he he goes off on one final adventure like in his eighties or something. I believe it's when he's sixty-five and uh, sixty-three. Yeah, he, sixty-three. Yeah. 
It's in his and it's in his sixties. It's not even that it's he is known dead. They leave that open. It's just like, oh, he goes off to the North Pole and is never seen again. <laughs> but I'm looking yeah. forward to playing again. Looking forward to that coming out in twenty seven hundred. He discovers yes. the fabled paradise under the ice and he lives in basically the Garden of Eden for the rest of eternity. Wait a minute. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, we need to fucking plug ourselves a bit. Uh, uh, thanks once again to Budai and uh, Fireminer for handing us our questions this week. We always have a great time with that. It's always good to have a nice active chat like we did today. Many thanks to them and to Joe and Pew also filling out the chat. Also, Wheels was posting in the chat for a minute there for some reason. <laughs> What the fuck is oh, wrong with no, you? Pew and I are just talking about Monster Hunter. Don't want to okay, fair enough. For that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so thanks to them. Uh, if you want to join our our gallant question asking friends, you can do so by uh, asking us questions underneath in the comments section of this very episode or within uh, within. Uh, the RP Gamer Discord, which you can access by going to the community section of RP Gamer, and uh, that'll get you the Discord invite. It's a lovely community, regardless of uh, whether you want to ask us questions. But if you do, you can want to ask us questions. You can go into the podcast section of the Discord and uh, you know, yell questions at us or some of those other podcasts that aren't about answering, that aren't strictly an answering questions show, but they they also answer questions. I'm pretty sure so. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, yeah, go go ahead and if you if you'd like, we we always appreciate questions. Uh, as for uh, the if you want to catch us in the stream, like Fireminer and Budai and Pew have done have done, you can do so by uh, catching us when we typically stream, which is always on Ask Wheels, usually on RP Gamer. Yes, tonight uh, it was not just because we started late. I didn't want to yeah. do the double setup. Yeah, but that, that happens on Thursday nights, uh, midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. Uh, note that when I say Thursday night and then less of midnight, I'm saying Thursday going into Friday, not Wednesday going into Thursday. Uh, right. But yeah, uh, you can catch us uh, typically, like I said, around that time. Uh, we also have another stream, uh, Sunday Night Shenanigans, where we just sort of play whatever we're up to. A lot of Street Fighter recently, probably will be going into the future. But also, Wheels usually will play like some other stuff, some Falcom stuff, that sort of thing. Yeah, because it is still the summer of Falcom. In a few weeks, there will be Remnant 2. Oh yeah, yeah. That's also important to note. Remnant from the ashes too. But uh, otherwise, I think that uh, that that is Sunday nights at midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. Uh, otherwise, though, that wraps us up. Uh, uh, hold on, I gotta I gotta oh, no. pimp the backtrack. You can just say plug. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta plug the backtrack because uh, I've got I a theme. I am on the most recent episode talking about Disgaea 6, and I think it was a particularly fun discussion because it was a lot of just discussing, like, what, how do we play Disgaea, what makes it fun, which 
for anyone that's played that series, there's so many systems in that those games that it can be very different from person to person, and it is actually. Uh, so, uh, even if that's not necessarily a disguise you like, I think just as a look at the series in general, it was a good discussion, and highly recommend people check it out. Okay, but with that said, I am going to fall asleep, so yes, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. See ya. Uh.